Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Thank you so much for joining today. I am thrilled to have, I think, potentially my second Not Safe for Work podcast. Uh, what that means is not that there's anything wrong with it, but just if you have kids or you are a kid, uh, this is not a good one for you. I have a, a bunch of other great ones, and I encourage you to look at it. Um, but for everybody else who's still listening, which is probably everybody, I am thrilled to have on Dr. Batsheva Marcus and Rabbi Dove Linzer, who are the co-authors of the Joy of Text podcast, which is a podcast that explores uh, Judaism and sexuality. Uh, now, they have a tremendous amount. They've been running for five years, and there's all kinds of great resources. So I would encourage you, first of all, to go check that out. Um, and I would, what I was trying to do in this podcast is not only to get some of their amazing information and the experience they have dealing with this issue in this community and in many communities, um, but also what it takes to stand out and do something unconventional. Uh, because you don't have so many rabbis with podcasts, you don't have uh, you know you don't have so many orthodox people talking about sexuality publicly. And it, it wasn't without peril, and it wasn't without uh, people that stood up. But I also wanted the listeners to hear how you yourself could start something that's important to you that serves other people practically. How to do that, and what are some of the skills you need to kind of build your own platform? So it's both a technical um, and how do you become an influencer type of a podcast. Not that that's what they're trying to do, but they really had a message they wanted to get out there to the world. And also textually and, and from a Jewish perspective, how do we put our minds around, wrap our minds around sexuality? Again, you got the kids, maybe not not, not this time, mom and dad, but, uh, but uh, I, I encourage everyone uh, to listen and to enjoy. Thank you. And one of the things that I'm hoping you will see at this point is that we are extremely focused on living a better life. And one of the most important components of that is getting the direction and the one-on-one -on -one work that you need in order to live better. So I am a strong proponent of coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to please do what many other people have done. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. There's no obligation to you whatsoever uh, to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And if that might not be the case, I would be thrilled to introduce you to any of the multitude of options and networks and people that I know who could provide that help. So again, please reach out via social channels, whatever it might be. I don't think I'm too hard to find. Certainly not, I hope. And, uh, and, and let me know how I could be of benefit to you. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to have on. You know, I've had authors, I've had speakers, trainers, rabbis, all kinds of things. I don't think I've had so many people who are in the medium that I love and is so dear to my heart, podcasting, and also on topics and subjects, which I am a huge fan of, specifically the idea behind taking very important parts of life that people don't necessarily talk about, especially in certain circum circles and circumstances, let's say Orthodox Judaism, and bring it to the mainstream and really leading with value and helping people use this beautiful medium called podcasting with all of its anonymity and all of its ability for access and providing extremely high quality information that is applicable to people, the Jewish people, in a lot of ways that have learned how to be fairly private about certain topics. So it was a wonderful introduction. I even thought I, that, that was a great introduction in and of itself. But I'm thrilled to have on Bacheva Marcus and Rabbi Dovlinzer, who are the co-hosts of The Joy of Text, 
which for those of you who are not familiar, is a podcast dealing with sexuality and intimacy from a Jewish, Orthodox Jewish perspective. So I appreciate both of you very much for what you do. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're, yeah, we're thrilled to be here. Great. So one of the big questions that I wanted to start off, and we can bounce back and forth between the two of you, however you guys want to do it, is we, we were speaking a little bit in the pre-show about the reception of the, of the podcast. And what's really interesting is if you look, it's like Fauda and Unorthodox and Schissel. It's like the world loves Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> and the world looks at Orthodox, like we are, we have never been more famous. And the more isolated and unique the sect is, like, you know, the underground, you know, uh, Shinbet agents or the, the Sotmar community, like the people that even the average Jew might never see in their whole life, that's now like the most famous part of Judaism. So that brings a lot of outside exposure. And it also kind of brings a lot of inside questions to the forefront. Mm. I'm curious a little bit for you guys, what's been the reception of the show? And what do you find is the most like pressed upon or hot topics for people that they never thought that they could ask before a, a sex therapist and a rabbi? Oh, God, that's a lot. So, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm going to let Dove respond obviously also, but I will say that when we first started, I think people were a little bit taken aback and shocked um, and also delighted. I, I, I really appreciate what you said about using podcasting as a positive and medium, because one of the things we found originally was that it was, we thought it was an amazing tsanu, a modest way for people to get actual sex education. Like what could be more modest than sitting at your, you know, in your private space listening. So that was sort of one of our thoughts. And it was supposed to be a one-year project. Like it was, we started out as a one-year project. And then we loved doing it. And the response was so overwhelming that we continued, mm. we continued to do it. And, um, and well, I'll let Joe take it from there. I, I do want to say something about this whole unorthodox, you know, the burst of the, of the right-wing community. But why don't yeah, sure. I'll jump in. So I think also some, pe as some people were shocked because we were talking about this at all. And this is really a topic that was taboo um, in the Orthodox community. And here we were uh, talking about it. And particularly, I got comments because Bakhtiev at least is a sex therapist. But like, I got comments like, I don't think it's right for an Orthodox rabbi to be talking about these things, you know, and I'm also like the head of a rabbinical school, like that's, a, you know, a head of a rabbinical school, that's like, that's inappropriate. So I actually responded along, you know, the lines that Bacheva said, first of all, it's very private, you're not discussing it in public in the way that, you know, we would have without the world of podcasts. And it's helping, uh, you know, we're not doing it in a salacious way. If you want something that's, uh, salacious there's plenty of options on tv and the internet <laughs> and we're doing and we really are helping and you know an untold number of people you know people that reach out to me because of you know halachic issues jewish law issues that they found out through the podcast are much more gray and rather not black and white and i think the majority you know of our people who reach out reach out to Batsheva because they find out you know they're not alone and that they have issues that can be treated and addressed I mean, the irony, though, of somebody saying to you, why should a rabbi be talking about this stuff is just mind blowing when you think about it. But that, it, that, <laughs> sort, of, that sort of crystallizes the whole problem, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is so special and so important in our lives that nobody's going to talk about it to you at all, ever, you know, and, and it's <laughs> right. really, really, really a problem. So yeah, want, we love want, doing it. I want to, again, the topic that is so important, you know, I, I wanted to jump into that. But before we even get there, I'm curious, we live in a world 
very black and white world in, in a lot of ways. So there's like this, this, this duality and this paradox of, you know, being Jewish in 2020 or whenever people are listening to it, where you have access to more information than ever before. You know what your neighbor had for lunch. You know what the people in, you know, across the world are, are, are wearing, you know, in per season as it goes. And on the flip side, within the, you know, certain areas of, of, of Jewish media, simply because there is this, strong desire to make something that's kind of palatable for every community, you sort of get this, um, you know, exactly what you're saying is that things that we can't step out and talk about. And so one of the things that I think is so admirable about, about both of you is sticking with the passion that you have, going in a place that's brave, and sort of standing up and saying, no, I really do think this is important, despite the fact that other people might not see it that way or think mm-hmm. what I'm doing is important. So I'm curious, what are some of the either practical advice that you have for other people who have a similar passion, but are kind of scared to go out and do it? Or what were some of the influences or the amount of confidence you need to develop in yourself as you kind of take a deep breath and be like, well, this is going to be unconventional. Let's give it a try. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I will say that I think that the, you know, the anonymity of the podcast sort of works both ways. I mean, obviously we're not anonymous, but you know, you do it in the comfort of your own living room or wherever you're doing it. So it, it, it removes a certain sense of like, what's the reaction I'm going to get from the community? It's a more of an abstract issue. And, you know, I think also what was beneficial is that Bachev and I are also close friends. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations. They used to, Our kids and our spouses used to joke that every time we had a Shabbos meal together, inevitably we would wind up talking about sex and Judaism and halacha. So, you know, so because it was something that we both care deeply about and we had a lot of you know, connection over that, I think it was just more easy to bring that conversation into the larger world. Um, that's certainly from my part, but Trevor, what, what are your thoughts? Can I, can I rephrase that and make sure I got what you said? Please. Because we get, again, so the step number one is for a lot of people who sometimes fear that, you know, I don't want to go out and stand on a soapbox and start, you know, talking about things. The beauty is that every writer, a blogger, a, a, a YouTube personality, at the end of the day, you can just sit in front in your, the comfort of your living room, share from the bottom of your heart, and then mm-hmm. maybe just don't look at the comments, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. That could be one piece. And the second thing is, is the, the beautiful, I, there's, a, there's a writer who I'm a big fan of whose name is Jack Canfield. He wrote the uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And he always mm-hmm. talks about success as a team effort. And the idea of if you don't feel like you're capable or comfortable necessarily, or you know, the idea of find someone with which you have an alignment and maybe tackle a problem together. Beautiful. I, I'm so glad you're saying that because I don't, I don't even know if you remember this, but five years ago when somebody came to me with this idea of doing the Joy of Text podcast, right? Um, I, we have to give credit to where credit's due is David Kalman, David Svi Kalman, who came up with this idea that was supposed to be a one-year thing. And he said to me, would you do a podcast on Judaism and sex? And I was like, I'm happy to, but I don't know halacha. Like I, you need somebody who really knows halacha. And then it became super apparent who that should be. Um, so, so it was absolutely the situation where I felt like, don't dive in alone, dive in with somebody who you totally trust that can handle that area. And that is mm-hmm. so important. And then I think also, and, and the truth is it also, like it, this was a much braver venture, I think for Dove than it was for me because Dove is a public personality in the Orthodox community. And my professional world is the sex world, right? So for me to be doing this wasn't so horrific. Now, the truth be told, both of us over the course of the last 10 years have dealt with our own, you know, what I'd sort of call like social trauma. Like there have been moments in both of our lives when we were sort of turned upon by 
community members for things we said. And you got to just, somebody said to me early in my career, because I'm an Orthodox feminist, right? And that was, that was already being blasted, right? 30 years ago when I was working on the Women's Tefillah Network, like when you think about what was radical 35 years ago, and a newspaper reporter called me and I was sort of hemming and hawing. And she said something to me which changed my, I feel like it changed the way I thought. She said to me, Bacheva, you have to decide if you want to stand up because if you get stand up, you're going to be hit. And if you st- mm-hmm. don't want to be hit, you can stay sitting down, but you have to decide what you want. And it became so apparent to me that, you know, when I stand up for things, it, sometimes I do get hit and it doesn't feel good. It feels terrible, but it's way more important to me than staying sitting. What, what if, if I could also just, add, I'm sorry, I, I could add to that, and Mike, this might be too much insider baseball, that, um, but that, uh, you know, ironically, or for whatever reason, the, sometimes these whole issues around what are the appropriate boundaries of orthodoxy are around these social issues, you know, a lot having to do with women, LGBTQ, sex, even though it's somewhat taboo, doesn't raise questions whether you're a legitimate orthodox rabbi. So I think that that was sort of made that easier. You know, people don't, maybe they'll say it's inappropriate, but they, but, you know, but they don't sort of say you're outside of, of you know, of our camp. I, I, I wanted to point out, again, going back to what, what you had said, which is, which is phenomenal, is the ability to leverage other people in your, in your pursuit. And I think that that's so important because so often, I mean, really, if you think about it, um, I certainly have that same experience when I go into coaching and, and the people that I speak to and the people that I work with. And even, I guess, even a rabbi or a therapist, if you think about it, it's like you are putting yourself in a position where people are looking to you for leadership. And if you think about who you are, like, that's very scary. And no one, if a person was being honest with himself, it's not a complete egomaniac, like you're saying, like, they have to take that with a tremendous amount of responsibility. And that idea of I'm not good enough or necessarily the way that you can leverage that is to basically say, I'm always going to say a student, like you said, or I'm just going to be able to network and fill out the areas of, of my life. Again, maybe as a rabbi, I might not have the, I, I don't have the insight of a therapist. And as a therapist, I don't have the halakhic background as a rabbi. So again, most people might say, well, I guess I'm done. But it's like, no, like you have to go out and figure out who you can put in, in your camp and who you can rely on. And, and the second thing I think, Pacha, what you said, which is so beautiful, I, I can't think of anything more of more perfectly feminist, but perfect for everybody, is that if you want to be a crusader, you have to, you have to expect to get hit. And that's okay, because people, people you know, we need people like that, you know? Um, you know, the other thing is that every podcast we do, I always bring on a guest. And I think for both Dove and mm. I, that felt like, that's fine. We don't have to have answers to everything. We don't have to know what the, we can have as much empathy as we can, but we can know that there are other people who speak for other communities, other projects, other ideas, and we want to help disseminate that. So that's just furthering your point, Jacob, about like helping and building always involves a community. Tell yeah, and I think it shows. I'm sorry. I think it, and I think it. I think it shows people that this is not just two crazies, and that people from all parts of the Orthodox community that they weren't aware of. You know, some people maybe to the even to the right of us are deeply invested in this because this is such an important human issue. So now that the world of orthodoxy and, you know, it's, it's out there and it's, I mean, if it's big on Netflix, then, you know, it's got to be doing, it's got to be doing something, especially during uh, COVID-19. So it's like, that's all people are watching. That or the Tiger King, I guess, um, which, which maybe we won't get into. Uh, but, the, but the idea is that the average Jew is likely becoming aware of these kinds of issues. 
Jews mm. and or the average Orthodox Jew is going to have to start either defending or discussing or at least having a perception around how other communities work. So as a general rule, going back to the fundamentals, how should Jews look at sexuality, intimacy, and on top of it, how do Jews respectfully deal with different communities' approach to the issue? Hmm. It's an easy question. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. We'll just do that. So why don't you yeah, start? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I kind of get variations on that question quite often because, first of all, I, um, I, my practice, our practice, it's very large. It's the, one large, it's the largest in the country, independent practice, and May's women's health and May's men's health. And so we see a large swath of patients. I mean, we see mostly secular patients, mostly not Jewish patients, but obviously a lot of Jews end up coming and a lot of Orthodox Jews and a lot of Hasidic Jews end up coming too. So I see this huge wide variety. And over the years, I've also met some amazing, like, Honestly, in the uh, LDS community, in the Latter-day Saint, the Mormon community, I've met incredible sex therapists and like what I would call modern Orthodox sex therapists, right? So I've had an opportunity to talk to lots of people from lots of communities. And I feel like one of the issues is that things are the same. Like we're not that different. The issues that come up for people are not that different. There's so much shame. Everybody has shame. Maybe it could be a little bit worse in pockets of the Orthodox community, but in most cases, the same issues come up again and again and again and lots of communities. Now, the, Jew, the Orthodox Jewish community, the one that we speak to, is very committed to long-term monogamous relationships. And that, I will say, is like a fundamental. And but there are a lot of other communities that are also really committed to long-term monogamous relationships. Even secular people often, you know, when they go into marriages, they don't say like, I'm just doing this, you know, I'm not serial monogamous. I'm going to be married for six years and then get married again, right? So I think, or I'm going to be in the relationship for a few years. I, so I think the questions we answer are really universal. Like the questions that we're all struggling with about masturbation and understanding your own body and um, new relationships and old relationships and low desire and boredom and sexual problems that come up and shame or guilt or ed sex education. Those are, those are really universal issues. And I don't know, Dove, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I would echo that. I think that some of the attraction to shows like uh, Shkissel in particular is that there's the exotic but then once you sort of start getting into their lives, you see, you know, it's just the same as our lives. They have the same issues, but, you know, within the realities of their community, which is different than ours. Um, and I think the same is definitely true within the issue around, uh, you know, sex and sexuality in the body. I mean, based on a community's ideology and practices, certain issues could be bigger, bigger or smaller. Um, that's certainly true. But, I mean, going back to the question of, um, you know, what does uh, Judaism have to say or what can we sort of learn? That was a question, right? What can sort of yeah. we learn from Judaism? <laughs> One of the questions <laughs> in terms of uh, the larger discourse around sexuality. I agree with Bachev. I think one of them is, you know, it's, a, it's probably countercultural nowadays, but sex it, within marriage is really where sex becomes um, sanctified and uh, not just something, you know, might be acceptable outside, but it's within marriage that it really becomes a merging of two people together within the context of a, of a committed relationship. Um, the other, the other thing, well, let, let me actually add to that. You might want to edit a little. But anyway, the, I, the other thing I would say is that, you know, to see sex as not just a, um, some, as pleasure seeking, that sex is one of the most profound ways um, that you connect to another person. And because of that is why 
sex is ideally taking place in the context of a committed relationship, in the context of marriage. I think that's a very uh, deep lesson that even people that are maybe, you know, not within a marriage relationship can understand the importance of sex within a committed relationship. The question was, how does a person, what are the questions that a person is supposed to ask in order to start to build a healthy relationship around sexuality with themselves and with their potential partner? Oh, wow. <laughs> Again, another, another easy start. one. You, should, okay. you need to start that one. <laughs> so uh, so I, think the two, I think the two fundamental questions would be, what do I want? Like, what do I want in my life? Do I want a long-term relationship and a family? Um, I think for most people in the Orthodox community, that answer for that would be yes. Um, for some people not in the Orthodox community, maybe the answer wouldn't be yes. But then I think you have to define for yourself, what, what's your end point? It's very hard. Like, you know, they, there's always that old saying, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. And so the idea is kind of know where you're going. So have some idea. And then the question becomes sort of what's getting in the way of my doing that? Do I, do I, you know, and then we can break this down as much as possible. Like, am I not, do I not feel sexual? Am I scared of sex? Um, do I have vaginismus, which by the way, was what, why I, my phone and internet and everything exploded when Unorthodox came on, that show came on because mm-hmm. the girl has vaginismus, mm-hmm. the young woman has vaginismus. So it was like, oh my God, anyway, I'm vaginismus central. So, you know, my kid's friends say like, nobody can come to dinner without having a conversation about vaginismus. So, um, which is sort of true actually. But, um, so, but I think people have to say to themselves, like, what's getting in the way right now of my sex life? And then what can I do to fix it. So I know those seem like such fundamentally silly, easy questions, but they're big questions. And if you take the time to sort of sit with yourself and say, you know, what do I want in my life? Well, I'm not straight. I'm gay. So what I really want is a relationship with another man or another woman. Well, what's getting in the way of that? So is that my family, my cultural, my own values, my own perceptions? Is it that I just don't know how to do that? You know, or is the answer, I want to be in a relationship, but I'm scared to death. And then, and then what are the steps to fix that? I mean, I almost feel like I'm giving you such a silly, easy answer, but I do think that's, that's the way you. It's not, silly. it's not <laughs> silly at all. In fact, it's so important to reiterate because <clears throat> oftentimes that's where all of our frustration and our shame and our confusion comes from is we either don't know what we want or we know what we want. And we're not sure how to get there. Mm-hmm. And the first step is articulating what do I want and figuring out what I don't know. It's like that. Right. Well, you're a, life, right. you're a life coach, right? That's what you do, right? You help people figure out to articulate what they want and how to get there. So we're, we're sex say life coaches. These, <laughs> right, but I would say within the Orthodox community, there's a third dimension, which is, you know, what does my religious commitments, you could say community, but what is my religious commitments? How does that get in the way? Like if what I want is to be polygamous, if what I want is, you know, to have free... Uh, free sex and my, my Allah is telling me not, how do you reconcile those two? And that's a reasonable question. Yeah. And that's a totally reasonable question and one that has to be addressed. Wait, what did you say? I, did I miss something? You said and. and, oh. and. So I, I would, my answer to that would be you have, to use, you have to make some decisions. But if you want to be in the Orthodox community and you want to follow halacha, but that's your decision, right? Then you can use fantasy, you know, you can do reading, like you can move places in your brain that maybe you don't want to go in real life. So I, I do think there are answers for these complicated questions. I do. I think they may, you may not get 100% of what you want, but you may get 85% of what you want. And that's 
really good for most of us. It's the courage yeah, I think our, to go ask. It's the courage to be able to ask and to have the conversations. Is that what you're saying? I think it's the courage to be able to ask, look for other solutions, and be willing to say, I'm going to settle for 85%, and that's okay too. But it does sound like Dove wanted to jump in. So, and so, we're going to no, disagree about this. I just wanted to say that I think that that's a major contribution of our podcast is letting people know um, these conflicts don't have to be conflicts. Maybe there are halachic options and halacha isn't always black and white and some things are actually permissible that you don't think are permissible, you haven't heard are permissible. And maybe there are ways, like Batsheva was saying, fantasy, other types of ways in which these ca- your desires can be addressed within this halachic context. So I think that's a major contribution we make in, our, in the podcast. And, and, you know, you picked a particularly difficult one, but like we did one of the episodes we did was on kink, you know, on kind of different ways of having sex. And and honestly, if you listen to that episode, when we first got a listener question on it, I thought people were like sort of pulling our chain, like they were yanking our chains. Like, you know, they were asking about like, can you tie knots on Shabbos? And what happens if you leave a mark? And so um, at one point I was like, I don't think we should answer this. I think the person is just like, you know, fishing. And my husband overheard us and he was like, you're being, you're falling into the same trap everybody falls into. But you're assuming that people aren't coming in with, you know, good intentions. Maybe the person was actually asking a serious question. And the truth is, we did that episode. It was one of the episodes people liked best. And then immediately after it was released, we got an email. Do you remember, Dove, from the person saying, thank you so much. And I wasn't actually, I really was asking those questions seriously. Like I wanted to know. And that just goes back to the fact that People are afraid to ask questions. And I fell into the same trap of somehow judging people who are asking questions in a way I shouldn't have, even though I'm the one out there always saying, ask anything, it's fine. And I thought it was fine, but I just wasn't sure they were serious. So um, so I think we all get caught in that same cycle of sort of shame, judgment, you know, not taking people seriously. And it was a good lesson for me, that's all. So I want to ask both of you, and with both hats, you know, that you, well, I mean, the respective hats that you wear, how has it been kind of being able to keep an open mind and not, you know, what's the experience like been for you sort of pushing against your own comfort and boundaries and sort of being able to offer value and help to people in areas where it might be crazy? I mean, that's, that's a great idea. How, how are you able to cultivate that level of still holding to what you know, but at the same time being open-minded and being service-oriented to help the people that are coming to you with real needs. Do you want to start, Dove, or you want me to? <laughs> um, I, maybe I'll start. I'm not sure I have fully uh, coherent thoughts, but <laughs> you can edit that part out. But anyway. Um, or not. Uh, I, you know, why don't you start? That'll get me going. <laughs> Um, So, look, when you go into the field of sex, when you become a sex therapist, which is an overlay on a regular therapy, you have to do a lot of like self-examination in that area. I mean, you just do like, and when I did my PhD, which was in a crazy wacky place called the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in, of course, San Francisco, um, I had my limits pushed way beyond where I expected them to be pushed and where I was comfortable. And um, I feel like I grew a tremendous amount from that. Like, I just felt like it came, I came out a changed person. Um, academically, I had criticisms of the institution, but from a, like, emotional, you know, getting touched, it was an amazing experience. And I feel like it made me very well able to handle this. 
where I kind of get stuck more, so where that kink question stuck me, it wasn't so much questions about kink. I get those all the time. I'm, you know, I'm dealing with that constantly. It was the idea that kink and such adherence to halacha were living side by side. That was kind of where I kind of got stuck. And that has to do with preconceived notions. So sometimes my preconceived notions can kind of get in the way. Um, I get stuck sometimes when I'm meeting with a young woman from like the Satmar community who's clear that she's, you know, inherently more attracted to women than men and she's married and has two children and, and, you know, my work with her has to be making her decision and her decision for sure is going to be to stay in the community because she can't imagine anything else. She doesn't want to lose her kids. So then my job as a, as a good therapist is to say, what is it you want? And let's figure out together how we're going to make your life at 85% let you be, stay there. So, um, so, so I feel like Dove's kind of the one who gets stretched fully when it comes to like having to make mm-hmm. sort of tough calls. I'm more stretched when it comes to figuring out how to have people live in their own environments. Maybe that's a way to put it. Yeah, so I, I agree. And I think I'll, just to echo part of what you said, I think that there's a part of um, – sort of exposing yourself to something so it's harder to so let me say that i think there's a part of exposing yourself to something so you're a little bit uh more comfortable with it and you get that a lot more about sheva but to some degree i've gotten that by doing the podcast and by you know talking about these things and you 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 know you raise things that i never would have talked about like kink is a good example and we get listener questions so there's that desensitization which is a healthy desensitization it allows us to address these things without our hang-ups I also think that, you know, in the rabbinical school I had, which is uh, Yeshiva Chovei Torah, you know, we do a lot in terms of pastoral counseling about how to um, respond to people that are coming to you, you know, in a pastoral context and tell you some crazy story that you can, you know, you have a certain emotional reaction and they're telling you about some story with adultery and have sleeping with their secretary, whatever they're telling. And how do you have that conversation without letting your own personal reaction get in the way? So taking your emotional pose, create, pulse, creating a sense of distance, but also it's training yourself to just respond in very calm tones you know, and try to keep all of your hangups like out of it. Like, um, so tell me more about that. And, you know, why do you think that? And what was that like? And, you know, and I've had to learn that. Like, I see myself sometimes in responding to people, hemming and hawing because it's such an intimate issue. And people so appreciate it if you just talk about it like you're talking about the weather. You know, that just makes it easier for them to talk about it as well. You know, on that note, I, I, it's like a big joke. People often say to me, I don't understand how at a first intake, people are telling you some of the stuff that they're telling you. And, you know, I, I think it has a lot to do with my comfort level. Like I can, I don't hesitate for one second. Like when I say penis and vagina, it's no different for me than saying ear or you nose. Um, and, um, and I, and I don't, back away at all from complicated issues with people because they don't feel complicated to me anymore. And I think when you're comfortable, it's exactly like what Dove is saying. Like when you come in with a level of comfort, it makes people comfortable. And it's sort of funny. Like I tell parents because I do talk to parents about talking to their kids about sex, which most parents don't do because they're waiting for the kids to ask and the kids never ask. So um, I say like in the shower, by yourself or when you're talking to your spouse, say penis, vagina, use all the words, all the words you need to say, just use them, use them, use them because you need to be able to have these conversations. People pick up those little subtle hesitations. So you need to just be super comfortable with it. And that happens much faster than you think. So. Yeah. Yeah. But Sheva, do you remember when you spoke at Hovave um, and one of the students asked you, like, but Sheva speaks to our, you know, rabbis in training about how, what role they can play in helping people in their, in their sex lives. And, in, um, and somebody said to you, like, 
what if you're afraid that by asking that question, you know, to somebody who's coming in your office, say like, and how's your sex life? That's going to push them off. How do you, how do you do that? And I think your answer was like, just do it a little softer. You're like, tell me about how things are in the bedroom. And I think, and, and to me, it was like, that makes all the difference. It opens up the door. It's not hemming and hawing. And it's also making it accessible for the person to sort of where their comfort level is. I, so that's, that's a fascinating concept that, 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 that comes out very strongly. It, the, the, the ability to cultivate your own comfort. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily accept things, but the ability to cultivate your own comfort and to look at the things that you're uncomfortable with and to live with them allows you to serve people at a, at a much higher level. And again, in the therapy room, potentially, and for sure in the Jewish world, um, you provide a lot of value by being someone that can non-judgmentally accept you. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's ultimately, again, if a person thinks, what's more important, do you want this person to trust you or do you want this person to hear what you have to say? It's like, if they hear what they'll hear you, but then they might not trust you. And then like you said, Bacha, in the beginning, it creates this schism where there's the right thing. And then, and I have to convince myself, I want this right thing. And then there's like me and what I want. And then you wind up usually in the therapist's office instead of the rabbi's office. Right. You know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm thinking about one of the times when we did a lot, we do live podcasts sometimes. And so we did a live one at, I think it was Princeton. And um, we were talking about hooking up and it was one of the most popular episodes we ever did. Like the whole idea of hooking up and how does Judaism see it? And, and um, one of the things I said was forget values, forget halacha, Dove's talking about that usually hooking up is just crummy sex. Like people have bad sex when you're drunk or when you don't really know the person and you're not comfortable. The sex is really often awful. And the, the rate of orgasm for people who are hooking up is so much lower on both sexes, but specifically for women, but both sexes. Um, and the weirdest thing happened. I got texted afterwards by one of the students who's gay, actually, and not religious. And he said he would come to it because he was interested. He grew up in a, you know, religious family, whatever. He said, you know, it was so eye-opening for him and his friends because they kept going out to parties to hook up because they kind of felt like they should and they were missing something, even though inherently they didn't enjoy it. They weren't having fun. Um, But it was somehow when I said, but I didn't, I wasn't being judgmental of it and I wasn't telling them they can't do it and it's wrong. I was just saying, I just wanted to give you information. And somehow that turned a light switch off. Like they, st- they stopped feeling like if they want to stay home and play games at night, they could do that on Saturday or Friday night. They didn't have to go hooking up because what was being shown as this amazing activity out there wasn't so amazing. So, you know. I- See, what you're saying is that the, the ability to move past judgment opens up other people to hear what actually is going on. So it's like, this might not be good according to halacha, but, but it also just might not be good according to anybody. So it's like, nobody likes it. I'm like, <laughs> why, why do it? <laughs> yes. And I, but I think that idea of moving past judgment touches on ourselves also, because I feel like what happens often is we're so judgmental of ourselves. Like you, something makes you uncomfortable. And rather than exploring why that makes you uncomfortable, and that may be a good reason, thing to look at, we're like, oh, you're, you're just, you're so uncomfortable. You get uncomfortable too easily. You're such an idiot. You're such a prude. These are conversations we're having with ourselves. And that doesn't help either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does a person get out of that judgment of themselves and, and, and be able to, again, like we're talking about, and, and I, hopefully you would agree that sometimes intimacy and, and having open conversations gets more difficult the longer that you're married because there's more and more and more at stake if things go sideways. Oh right? my, oh my God. Yeah. And nobody, I, this is probably, if you're doing a voice podcast, nobody's going to see me nodding vociferously as you do that. No, it, it's a big issue. I often talk about this when people want to try new things in relationships, 
somehow it is so much more complicated when you've been married for 25 years than it is like a month after the relationship starts or three months after the relationship starts. And it took me a long time to figure out what's going on. And somehow, you know, 20 years ago, it was like a light switch went off. Because one of the things that has to happen for you to stay in a monogamous long-term relationship is you have to believe you fully know this person completely and utterly, which is part of the reason why, why the sex often is less hot because sex sort of lives in the, um, in the, in the unknown and the slight discomfort, right? That's where, that's where intimacy and eroticism kind of lives. And so if you've convinced yourself and we never, we think we know our partners, you don't, you know, you know your partner, but there's some part of us that wants that familiarity of saying, we know this person hundred percent. There's no more surprises left. We want that because it makes us feel safe, but it, we don't, we don't work well with that when it comes to eroticism. And so being willing to look in your partner and say, I, I know this person, but there are lots of places and pieces of this person that I don't know. That's a really, really scary piece, but I think it's an important piece to get when you want to try to get sex better in your life. I, I really do. And I think that when somebody says to me, oh my God, my husband comes home and I'm going to say to him, I want you to tie me up or I want to tie you up. And he's going to think, holy Toledo. I was like, well, who's this person I married to for 20 <laughs> years? You know, Or I want you to dress up like Princess Leah from, uh, from Star Wars. Oh. Wars. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, or I want to do a strip tease or I would like you to do a strip tease or any of those things, which are things you need to maybe think about if you want to have a 25 year relationship feel as hot as a two month year relationship. And, you know, people are nervous because they're very nervous because they feel like, um, they feel like it's going it, to, my, my spouse is going to be horrified. Like they're going to think like, oh my God, I'm married to a, you know, a slut, you know what I mean? So, but maybe that's or, great. Or, also, or, or it can also wipe away the last 25 years of maybe it wasn't that good because you all, like, did you always want this? I never deliver right. what you want. Right. 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 So that I means. So a lot we're of what I talking about. We're doing so good not talking over each other. I'm so happy. This is like a, a Jewish first. <laughs> So a lot of what Batsheva is talking about, which is which is like so central, is discomfort with your own desires. Um, and I think one of the things in terms of dealing with uh, this issue about can I say this to my spouse is like a little exercise where you eat, where you take a, a sheet of paper and it lists a you know a range of different activities and you do it by yourself and you just check yes no or maybe you know yes no or I'm open to it and then you just compare the sheets and you know so uh, and the fact that you might you not be, you might be hesitant to say you know I want to I want to do this kinky thing but if you're just checking something on a sheet and you're not pushing it and then you ask oh my god you want to do it too so I think that's like a great exercise to, uh, you know, in terms of that particular challenge. Um, the other thing I would say about the sort of it is, is an issue about how we project our own discomfort, wherever it's coming from, like as onto a judgment of other people. So if like hearing about that idea gets me very, you know, uh, uncomfortable, maybe because I desire it and I'm conflicted about it or for whatever reason, then I think that anybody who does that is like, is so crazy and lustful and, you know, not normal. And, uh, and I think there's a great passage in the Talmud where there was a rabbi who was saying, you know, if you have sex this way or that way, it's a terrible thing and your kids will turn out, you know, in a terrible way. And another rabbi said, you know, it's just like food. Like you might have a reaction, like I can't believe he eats that disgusting thing, but you don't think it's bad. You just think it's not according to your tastes. And think about sex in the same way. Your tastes are not the same as somebody else's taste, but you don't take your, you know, aesthetic reaction and your sort of, and your like, aesthetic disgust and turn it into a moral judgment. And I guess I just want to, I just want to, um, 
sort of compound that by saying a little discomfort and a little fear and a little, yeah, scared, a little being a little scared. That's actually a good thing for your sex life. Like cuddly flannel pajamas are not always sex, the most, the best sex things. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so I know I get people say to me, well, I want to bring a sex toy in. Like I want to use a vibrator, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of like his reaction or her reaction or whatever. And I'll say like, being scared of some of these reactions actually maybe erotic. Like early on in the relationship, we're not so comfortable with each other. We're a little bit nervous all the time. We're a little bit scared. And, and that kind of does make the sex hotter. So I think we just need to kind of shift our realities a little bit. I, I wanted to ask, I, I could go on for like four, four hours with you guys. And what <laughs> I wanted to ask sort of is a, uh, and hopefully maybe we'll do a, a stage two of this, but, but so one of the, one of the, ideas that is so pervasive is that kind of sex is for the young and after a certain age or after a certain amount of being married that it's like how you know it's like okay move on already like you know go do something else with your time and I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the fallacy of that or the I guess that that the best times in our lives are actually we can look forward to as opposed to I should have enjoyed it more when I was 22. All right. So I feel like at this point, our moderator, Sarah, last time, quote, used this quote from me because I've said it so often. I feel like specifically in the Jewish Orthodox community, so much emphasis is put on the, you know, 15 to 25 year olds and what they're doing, what they're not doing and what's okay and what's not okay. And should they not be doing it? Is it shameful? And then everybody ignores 25 to 85. It's like, it doesn't exist. It kills me. It makes me nuts, especially because we're so committed to like monogamous long-term relationships. First of all, let's start with the fact that young people aren't having such great sex. Let's just be honest about that, right? Like we have this, we have this like fantasy that young people are having great sex. They're not, okay? Lots of people, first of all, the statistics is that younger people are actually having less sex than they ever did in the past. And to be honest with you, th- there's often problems with the sex. Like, and I'm not going to get into specifics, but you know, sorry. But young, young men have all kinds of issues and young women have all kinds of issues and it takes a while to get those worked out. Their desire level tends to be higher and that I will give you for the most part that is true. There is no question that with a little bit of work and effort, a long-term sexual relationship can be tremendously um, satisfying, happy, fun, um, and fulfilling. But people have to acknowledge and realize that it's not spontaneous. It doesn't happen by magic, right? Like anything else, it's like takes work. And we have this crazy fantasy in our society that you should spontaneously want to have sex. The sex should be perfect. We should all like know what each other wants. And that's how sex happens. And nothing could be further from the truth. Like your sex life takes planning and work and thought. And, you know, I was thinking a lot about this because the last podcast we released at one point, Dove said to me, you're making it sound like it's exercise, right? Like you, you decided something you want to do and then you do it and then you feel good afterwards. Do you remember this, Dove? And I was like, yeah. no. I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, actually, it's exactly like exercise. I'm just going <laughs> to say like, you know what? You find something that you really enjoy doing, right? I, you know, you find something that like, do you like tap dancing? Do you like playing tennis, right? And then, yes, it's, it's very likely that I'm going to want to stay curled up in bed watching Netflix before I'm going to want to jump up and run and play tennis. But I know that playing tennis makes me feel great 
makes really fun with my partner. I feel great afterwards. And my relationship is different because we play tennis. So I push myself to play tennis. And I feel like that is sort of true about sex also. Like sometimes you spontaneously want to have sex, but it may be often in your life you don't, but you, if you build it in and you think about it and you plan for it and you, and you pick something that you love and that's fun, then it changes your life. So yeah. I'm, I feel bad. I feel like I didn't say that on the podcast. See, I, I, I edited myself. <laughs> People will hear you on this podcast and they'll add okay. together. Okay, good. Um, but I, I want to add to that, go back to an earlier discussion we had about like, what does Judaism have to offer to how we think about our sex lives? Because one of the major teachings within, the, within halacha is the sense of marital sex and actually says how frequently it should take place, that you're supposed to schedule it. And, uh, and which doesn't mean that we're not supposed to have it spontaneously as well, but actually says, you know, once a week, twice a week, depending on the circumstances of people's lives. And you read that and you say, is that a good thing to be saying about sex that you're supposed to, you know, have it a certain frequency? And part of the answer is like, yeah, because if you don't schedule it, even if you're young, you know, basically it might not happen. And then you're losing something in your relationship and connecting it as a couple. We, we definitely have an over-romanticized view about sex. And I don't, I sometimes, like, I think to myself, where do we come up with it? And that doesn't, it's irony. That doesn't mean Hollywood. I don't. Yeah, it's not, it's a Hollywood, but I also think it's, I, I don't, I feel like it's deeper than Hollywood. It's novels. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's endemic to every, everything. I think that it, what it could be is that the people love the concept of, of something coming easy and, and oh, not wanting to work on it, you know, and right. it's mm-hmm. like, like you said, the 85%, it's like we're so, we are always addicted to, even if you look at like art throughout the ages, like the abs that people had and, and the look that people had. And it's like, you know, we're, we're addicted to effortless beauty. And I think that that's, that's probably where it comes from. And, the, and the, mm. the 85%, the ability that it's growth and, you know, like this might not be as good as that, but I built this and this is me. You know, the, the, again, that, I think ultimately that's the difference between the Jewish perspective, that this is a connection opportunity and a growth opportunity, and perhaps the non-Jewish perspective, which is either a selfish act or a, an act for the sake of procreation. And like, you know, you have to put the soul into the physicality in order to make it real. Could be. Right. I want to, if I could respond to that also, because one thing, again, I, I wanted to mention in terms of what of the unique Jewish contribution is exactly this about sex, not being selfish, but being about the other person as well. You know, it's okay to have your desire and have that fulfilled, but it's also about the other person. And once you think about it as, you know, two people coming together to form a whole, then, and forming that relationship, then it's got to be about the other. And I, I sometimes articulate this, that a core principle of sex within the Jewish tradition is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when we make the blessing under the chuppah, one of the ways we refer to the couple is re'im ha'uvim, beloved friends. And that, you know, and beloved, like, lovers, but that word re'a is the same word as love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, halacha says that, particularly it emphasizes the man because it's the nature of the sexual dynamics could lead to otherwise, that the man has a special obligation to make sure that his wife is being satisfied and that his wife achieves orgasm. Um, and even to hold off his own pleasure, his own orgasm, you know, to make sure that she gets, uh, that she's able to achieve it. So I think that that's, uh, I don't think that that's a normal thing that's discussed at all. And people would probably be shocked to hear that that's part of the Jewish tradition. Beautiful. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I think we have to end at this juncture. Um, but please tell our, our, our listeners, first of all, from the bottom of my heart, I profoundly appreciate your candor, your openness, um, and the information that you delivered both here and in the ongoing work that you're doing. Uh, I want to wish you a, a ton of success and that you should continue to be able to bring this to 
as many and everyone that needs to hear it and to increase and, and that and not only the people hear you, but that other leaders can be inspired by you and step out on their own and start to address the areas that are of concern in their own areas. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. I, where can people find you and sort of what's one last thing that you wanted to share as a um, next steps? Well, people can find us on iTunes, Spotify, it's Joy of Text, um, wherever podcasts are found. <laughs> um, last thoughts, Pacheva? Um, so first of all, I just want to say it's the joy of text, which throws oh. people off a little bit. So I want to say that. Um, I'm on social media at Dr. Marcus, D-R-M-A-R-C-U-S, and I do lives, and and, um, and Dove and I are working on a book, so hopefully that will happen. It will be great um, when it comes out. And I would love... Um, for people to take away this idea that your sex life is a project. It never ends. It never is. You never hit exactly the right spot. If you hit the right spot, that's great for a little while because then trust me, something else will come up and that's normal and that's right. And so, but it's worth it in the end for you to work on it. And I'll, I'll also, I'll, I'll add that um, for people that are interested to see Torah sources around issues about sex, uh, then on the Yeshiva's website, library.yctorah.org, for about half of the podcasts, we have accompanying source sheets in translation with framing. Um, I actually know of one of our rabbis who, together with a reform rabbi on campus, did a whole series on the Jewish approach to sex and used our podcasts and our source sheets. So people definitely can find, I think, well, you'll never find anywhere else that amount of sources um, in translation on these topics. And I guess my last thought would be um, that people should really explore the Jewish tradition in a deeper way, because once you do, you'll find out that um, a lot, you know, things are a lot less black and white than we have a sense that it is, and also that there, it has an enormous amount to contribute. It's not that halacha is an obstacle to be worked around, that the halachic system, the Torah, has a lot to contribute in terms of the depth and the beauty of what our sex lives can be. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. This was great. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.